All right, we look at the book of Jude today, and the title of the lesson is, Here Comes the Judge. All right, here comes the judge. How many here have ever served on a jury? Let me see your hand. That's a whole lot of us, all right? Every time I got summoned or called to a jury, I tried my best to get out of it. I'd walk up there, you know, I'd stand before the judge and I'd say, I'm a Bible-thumping, hell-hating, heaven-loving child of God filled with the Spirit of God. I mean, I laid it on and I would still get seated on those juries. Tried my best to dodge them. But you know, I had one particular time where I got called to federal court. And so... Um, Back there in the day when it was in the Strom Thurmond building, I got called the federal jury. And I thought, uh, there is no way that they're going to put a Baptist preacher on this jury. Sure enough, I got up there and they, um, you know, the prosecutor over here, the DA, said, uh, we'd like to seat Reverend Humphreys. And I thought, okay, the lawyer's going to kick me off. He said, up, we'd like to seat Reverend Humphreys. So I got put on that jury. Let me tell you about the case. It was a federal case because there was a guy in Florida who had taken an airplane to Columbia Metro Airport. And uh, on the flight from Miami, uh, he was running, as the police were chasing him, he was running through the parking lot and he had a bundle in his hands. And he ran through some bushes, and when he got to the other side of the shrubbery, the package was gone. In other words, he dropped it there in the shrubbery, and happened to be a real nice square block of cocaine. And so, uh, anyway, I was on the jury, and, and so uh, we went back into the jury room after we heard the evidence. And you know, I listened to everything and tried to have an open mind, clear mind, and got back there in the jury room. And there was one particular lady, she was a holdout. And she said, I, I just can't convict him. I just can't convict him. And, and uh, I wanted to say, well, let me have your ballot. I'll write it in. <laughs> but she just said, no, I can't do it. And so they said, well, we're going to have to order some food. So they brought in some food, gave us some menus, and I tried to find the most expensive thing on there to order. And so uh, I got the chicken strips. I think that was the most expensive. But anyway, so uh, I, uh, I, I just sat there and I thought, Lord, we may be having another meal here if this lady can't make up her mind. Well, then all of a sudden, somebody on the jury said, we need prayer. And we're never going to come to a decision if we don't pray. And she said, Reverend Humphreys, would you lead us in a time of prayer? So we held hands together and we prayed. And then after we prayed and after we ate, <laughs> she said, well, I've changed my verdict. I'm going to vote guilty. And so then we were all unanimous and so we went out and told the judge that uh, we thought this person was guilty according to the law of trafficking cocaine. By the way, they brought that block of cocaine there in the jury room. It's amazing how big that thing was. 
And then they told me how much it was worth. I thought, my goodness, worth a lot of money. But anyway, got back out there and told the judge the verdict. And uh, so, you know, the bailiff read it. And then the attorney did a shocking thing. He stood up and said, poll the jury. So one by one, every person on that jury had to stand up and say, yes, Your Honor, guilty is my verdict. And I remember thinking, I thought, boy, I hope that lady doesn't cave in over there. <laughs> but she did. And he was convicted because according to the evidence, he was guilty. Now I want to tell you something. When God comes again in judgment, He's not going to poll any jury. When God comes again in judgment, He's going to have the final word on who's guilty and who's not. He will separate the sheep from the goats. I heard about an old farmer who was a Mennonite. And this Mennonite farmer was so faithful not to work on Sunday and so faithful not to bring in his crops on Sunday, even if it was a threatening storm coming. One year, particular year, a storm came and he let his crop lay in the field on Sunday and would not harvest. Some ungodly reprobate went to him and said, well, you see there, God didn't answer your prayer. You lost your crop. Where's your faith now? And the wise Mennonite farmer said this, God doesn't settle His accounts in October. God's going to have the final word, isn't He? And so that's what Jude is saying here. In fact, if you look in your Bible, verse number 15, it says to execute judgment upon all. And so there is a God that's going to execute judgment. Now Jude here is talking about the false prophets. He's talking about the pretenders. Do you realize that in 21st century America, the largest groups that are getting new members are not evangelicals, they are the cults. And they are. They're growing by leaps and bounds. And so, we find that Jude is saying here, we have a God of love and grace, but He is also a God of judgment. Dr. Bailey Smith, great preacher and evangelist of years gone by, Bailey one time said this. He said, on this side of death, God is a God of grace. But on the other side of death, God's a God of judgment. What he was saying is that our sins, if they're judged at Calvary, if we receive Jesus into our life, we are forgiven eternally, but that must be done on this side of death. So I want you to take your Bible and, and let's go ahead and read the whole passage today. Verses uh, uh, 11 through 16, verses 11 through 16. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, 
when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I want you to look real carefully at verse number 16. If there's any verse in the Bible that describes lost, reprobate man, it's verse 16. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So, let's look at today. When Jude says, here comes the judge to execute judgment, what is he saying? God is justified. Now listen to me. God is justified in His judgment. There is no one one day that will stand before a holy God and tell God, you're wrong. In fact, we are going to be silent before the throne of God. Read in Revelation about the great white throne. No one says a word. But God is justified in His judgment. Now I want to tell you, one of the big arguments, one of the big debates, is that people that are lost, they'll say, how can a God of love send anyone to hell? I want to tell you how He does it. Because man has rejected the most wonderful, precious gift God ever gave. And that's the gift of His Son in eternal life. You see, God doesn't send anyone to hell, really. People choose their own destiny. They do. Alright, so, hang with me on this. I want to give you four reasons, alright? Four reasons God judges the ungodly. Reason number one, God judges the ungodly because of their decisions. Their decisions. And that is back up there in verse number 11. Verse number 11. You find that Jude is going down the direction here where he says, when people make bad decisions, they're going to be in line for God's judgment. Now I'll have to admit, I made some bad decisions before. And God gave me grace to make another decision. I uh, had someone that came to me one time and he said, uh, now preacher said, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. And I said, I'm going to agree with you. Yes, you have. But then I told him, but God in grace will give you opportunity to make good decisions. Now, notice the bad decisions. Jude does something very Jewish here. Very historical. 
Jude pulls three examples from the Old Testament. Alright? Now, in verse number 11, it says, Woe to them. In other words, this phrase, woe to them, means they are under judgment. They are hateful. Now, this recalls the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. Remember in Matthew chapter 23, there were some scribes and Pharisees. Jesus got in front of them and said, Woe to you because you're like the inside of a sepulcher. You're like dead men's bones. And you're going to face judgment. Now, also we find that uh, Jude mentions here in verse number 11, they went the way of Cain. Do you see that in verse 11? They have gone the way of Cain. And you know about Cain and Abel. First murder in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel. Now, the way of Cain is the way of hatred. Cain hated Abel before he killed him. Cain was jealous of Abel before he killed him. Cain had lust in his heart for what God had given Abel before he killed him. I want to tell you, an act of murder never happens on the day of the murder. There is a process leading up to that. And that's why you and I, we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts. I know in my ministry I've had times where bitterness was rising up. There were times in my ministry where someone did something, someone said something, and I became bitter. And God quickly convicted me and said, you better clean that bitterness up because it will lead to hatred. It will every time. Now, also, Jude pulls from another example. Bad decisions because they were greedy. Greedy. Verse number 11, you find the error of Balaam. Uh, Balaam was a prophet who said, I'll bring a curse on Israel. You can read about this in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 through 24. But Balaam was a prophet that said, I will curse Israel if you pay me the right amount of money. I want to tell you, we're living in a day and time where men are going into the ministry as a profession. I, I just want you to hear me on this. They're not God called and they're not heaven sent because they are going into the ministry as a profession. I've always laughed about that because I remember the days of making $10 a week in the church. I remember the days of making $90 a week in a church. If you go into the ministry as a profession, you ain't going to last long. Because some sweet lady who is Baptist to the bone is going to catch you in the parking lot and she's going to put a ladder on you and climb you up one side and down the other. Because of what you said, what you preached, or what you thought, and in that day and time, you better have a call of God in your pocket. Because that's all that's going to keep you in the ministry. That's it. Danny Aiken 
said about Balaam, gold was his God and money was his master. Do you remember the words of Jesus? Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt. Thieves will break in and steal, but put your treasure in heaven. Alright, so, hateful, greedy. There's a third example here of bad decisions. They are rebellious. Rebellious. Verse 11. The 1960s and 1970s, America was plagued by rebellion. Do you remember 1968? I do. 1968, riots in the street, the death of Bobby Kennedy, the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And that year, I mean, America was on fire during that time. Rebellion in the streets. I want to tell you, there's a way that we can have a peaceful kind of protest, but there's also a way of rebellion. I remember in high school back in my day and time, it was cool. Now listen, it was cool to have long hair if you were a man. Now it's cool to shave your head. Have you noticed that, how it turned? Uh, I tell guys now that if you're balding, you're right in style, man. You're right on it. Right in style. But I, I remember reading the story about a boy back in the 60s and 70s. He, he loved his long hair. He loved that ponytail he could make there in the back. And so uh, he uh, asked his dad, he said, Dad, I think it's time for me to have a new car. Isn't that, doesn't that bless your heart when a child comes in and goes, I think it's time for me to have this or that. But he said, Dad, I think it's time for me to have a new car. And the father said, Son, I tell you what, you cut that hair and we got something to talk about. And the father just happened to have the Bible there in his hands. He was reading the Word of God. So the son said, Dad, I want to tell you something. I've read that Bible. Dad, I've read that Bible enough that I'll see the pictures in there. Everybody in that Bible, all those men had long hair. Here's what the father said. Yeah, that's right, son. And they also walked everywhere they went. <laughs> I want to tell you. Wise answer turns away fools. Amen? So, you can be rebellious. Now, you find here in verse number 11, it says in the rebellion of Korah. Let me tell you about Korah. Numbers chapter 16 tells the story of Korah. Korah was someone that mocked the authority of Moses and Aaron. Korah, in Numbers 16, mocked Moses and Aaron, mocked the man of God. God said, because of your rebellion, now listen, because of your rebellion against God, sent authority, I'm going to kill you. And God did. God took the life of Korah. So, it can happen. Now, let me wrap up this first point. When people make bad decisions, God's going to judge them. Can you have forgiveness? Yes. Can you have grace? Absolutely. Will there be judgment? Yes. 
Your sin will be judged at Calvary, but even in this world, you may have the consequences of a bad decision. I uh, got tickled. One guy came to me one time and said, a preacher said, I just married the wrong woman. And then I told him this, well, after you married her, she became the right woman now. So just hang on tight, brother. Hang on tight. Alright. Number two. Second reason for judgment. Number two. God judges the ungodly because of their deception. Their deception. Verses 12 and 13 uh, talk about some sneaky, low-down cowards. I don't like a coward. I want to see someone face to face. I like gun smoke where they... Matt Dillon called them out on the street at high noon. Alright? But as you read verses 12 and 13, you find that these were sneaky people that tried to hide and tried to go undercover. Uh, they are destructive. Verse number 12 says they are hidden reefs. Hidden reefs. I, uh, I went snorkeling one time off the coast of Maui and uh, jumped into the water there off the coast of Maui in Hawaii and went snorkeling and, and uh, beautiful reefs down there in uh, Hawaii. But someone told me that if you would go down close enough and touch those, you could cut or damage your hand because those reefs are dangerous. Fish know how to navigate, swim back and forth. I, I love to tell the story, and Pam will kill me later, but uh, I, I jumped in the water and took off swimming and had my snorkel on. I'm looking at all the beautiful fish and everything. I look back, and because Pam's not a great swimmer, she was hugging the boat. And uh, I said, come on, Pam, let go, let go. Finally, we got Pam out there in the water. But I never did think she was going to let go of the boat, but she finally did. But you and I know that there are people today that are just like hidden reefs. In other words, they're hiding something in their life. They're hiding something that they don't want the world to see. One John Wayne movie I love. It's called Big Jake. That's one of my favorite movies. Big Jake. Love that movie. Then that movie, Big Jake, John Wayne says this, secrets are dangerous because I've never known one to be kept yet. Ask President Donald Trump <laughs> how well people keep secrets. I tell you, it, it's true. And so, you find that these hidden reefs, these pretenders, were just kind of uh, lurking below the surface. Well, then also in verse number 12, uh, these people that we can just say they were deceivers, they disappoint. Verse number 12 says they are clouds without water, carried along by the wind. Jude says these are going to be judged because they disappoint. Disappoint. Let me paint two pictures here for you. Here's a university. They hear about a football coach who's had a wonderful record over there at university number whatever. Boy, the board of trustees, all those donors, all the people say, boy, if we can just get this coach, 
Man, if we can get this guy, boy, we'll be able to beat anybody if we can just get that coach. Then the coach shows up. He pulls his britches up. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll turn this program around in three years. And then after three years, guess what? He hadn't turned the program around and they're ready to buy him off and send him down the road. Another scenario. Preacher comes to the church. Church calls brand new pastor. He says, I tell you what, in three years I'll turn this church around. I want to tell you something. That kind of arrogance, God will never bless. I don't care if it's on a football field or if it's in the church. God ain't going to bless that kind of arrogance. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14 says this, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. Alright, so they disappoint. They're also destitute. Verse number 12 goes on to say, They are autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Now, Jude says you can spot these false pretenders, these false prophets, because they don't have any fruit. They don't have fruit in their life. A genuine child of God is going to have some kind of fruit. Now, I may bear a strawberry, and you may bear an apple, or a tangelo, or a banana, kiwi, I don't know what, whatever kind of fruit you want to name, you're going to have some kind of fruit. It may not always be the same. Not everybody can stand behind a pulpit and preach. But I, I agree with Steve Phillips who said some of the greatest accolades in heaven will be given to those who never got them on earth. Some of the greatest crowns and rewards in heaven will be for that custodian. Will be for that person who works behind the scenes. I guarantee you one of the things I appreciate so much is having good sound. And if it's Dan or Bill or, or whoever in the sanctuary, if it's James, those guys that work behind the scenes, thank God for them. Alright. Then verse 13. They defile. Immorality is a close companion to false teaching. Notice in verse 13 you find this phrase, wild waves of the sea. Wild waves of the sea. Have you ever been seasick? I have one time I prayed to die. I said, God, just take me. Take me on. I was on a small boat and got out there in the ocean. And, and uh, before I got on, the guy said, now it's an unusual day because the seas are extremely rough. And sure enough, up we went. Down we went. And up we went. I'm getting seasick just thinking about it. <laughs> Finally, he looked at me. He could tell I was green. Ham thought I was going to die. He said, come here. He said, I'll fix you a drink. They'll fix you right up. So he did. I don't know what was in it. I just drank it, okay? 
I do know he was grinding up some ginger and put inside that drink. And when I drank that, five minutes later, I was well. It was some kind of drink. It was good stuff. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but I do know this, that there are people that you can get around at times and it's a ride that will make you sick. <laughs> I mean, it's a roller coaster up and down. It's a wild wave of the sea. They make a lot of noise, alright? But it's like an empty drum. John Bloom, a friend of mine, said, you know, empty drums make the loudest noise, don't they? People are like that. Empty drums make the loudest noise. Alright. Then they also disappear. Thank God. Verse 13 says, They are wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. In other words, they wander into the blackness. Again, Danny Aiken at Southeastern Seminary said this, Life reveals a heart. False prophets have a heart for themselves, not our Savior. They care for themselves and not for others. So, God judges the ungodly because of their deception. I'm going to move real quick through these last two points, alright? Point number three. God judges the ungodly because it is their destiny. It is their destiny. Now back in Jude, verse number 4, verse number 4 says that uh, these people have been marked out beforehand. In other words, they were set apart for judgment. Now, in verse number 15, it says that the ungodly are judged and it's proper because of their actions. I want you to... I'm not sure if I put this verse down or not. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. I might have gave you the reference. But Romans 3.19 says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Every mouth may be closed. Alright, i got to move quick. Fourth and last, okay? Number four. God's reason for judgment. Number four. God judges the ungodly because of their deeds. Simply because of their deeds. I said verse 16 was one of those verses that really describes the ungodly. Do you notice something about the sin there in verse 16? All has to do with the tongue. <laughs> it all has to do with their speaking. The ungodly are judged by their deeds and it seems like their mouth or their tongue was the culprit. That got them started. Let me just free you up, alright? You don't have to say everything you think. You don't have to post everything you think. Not everybody needs to know everything about your life. We just don't need to know that. James chapter 3, verse 6 says, The tongue is set on fire by hell. Set on fire by hell. One last verse, then we'll close. 
Acts 17.31 says, God has fixed a day when He will judge the earth. Acts 17.31 Mark that down. God has fixed a day. It's on God's calendar. We don't know when it is. But God has that day set. November the 19th, 1861. November the 19th, 1861. A lady by the name of Julia Ward Howe wrote the battle hymn of the Republic. You know what she made for that song? Four dollars. Four dollars. But in that song that she wrote, remember these words? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of His terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And it still is today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Lord, um, I kind of had to rush uh, through this, but Lord, uh, such a wonderful passage that God, You declare that one day You're going to come in judgment. And God, You have every right to do that because of the reasons I mentioned, but many, many more. So Father, I pray that we would be about the task of winning people to Jesus, sharing the Gospel, so that when You come in judgment, their sin, our sin, will be covered and sealed and just wrapped up in the blood of the Lamb. Father, I'm so glad for salvation that Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Father, we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.